You're listening to Counterculture on RCR. Yeah. Welcome back to Counterculture here on Reality Check Radio. I am Marie, and of course, as we do this time each week, it is time to reach out to Marty Gibson. I've had a busy weekend, so I've been a bit checked out, Mm. which has been quite nice. I had my event. It was lovely. Yeah. Yeah. Good morning. Again, I'm starting to increasingly look at what's not in the paper, but they're really, you know, they're really starting to put the pressure on people who think differently to what uh, the fat controllers want. Mm. As I mentioned last week, if me selecting stories out of the newspaper or a diet plan, well, this week, I tell you what, <laughs> I shed kilos this week. Probably the well, least amount that I've selected out of the four core papers that I look at um, as a snapshot, as well as other sources, kicking off with politics. I mean, I don't know about you, but this schoolyard shit, it's it's getting old really fast. It was very, very scrappy in the trenches this week. Yeah, well, it's generally accepted that politicians fight because of their differences, but it's increasingly obvious to me that they fight because they're just so similar. And that's why you see you see so little actual spelling out of, of issues and so much, yeah, as you say, schoolyard stuff. And I, I notice in the papers the thought police are really clamping down on um, parties that have support from anti-vaxxers. Mm. And there are some quite nasty cartoons, quite stigmatizing, essentializing cartoons of people who legitimately question what's going on. I'm sure we can get into that a bit later, but you know, some of the those stats that we've talked about before, there are questions to be answered. And when the media are stigmatizing, people are asking them rather than confronting the issues. That doesn't get me back in the herd and in the truck to the works. It uh, makes me want to jump the fence and head for the bush. Mm, I tell you what, the back paddocks do sound pretty good right now. And of course, we've had David Seymour up until this point, who had appeared to be running a pristine campaign. Somebody, and I don't know, I mean, they've been sitting on this, I am sure, but somebody who have had time on their hands has trawled through the back ends of his party list and gone through social media accounts. Honestly, I could think of. And then misquoted them. Yeah, you know, comparing the COVID response to the concentration camps. No, they no. didn't. You mealy mouthed little lying liars. They said this was how it started, and they're quite right. Exactly, they're absolutely correct about that. It does not belittle the Jewish experience in World War II by pointing that out. It honours it and keeps the memory of it alive. And I mean, I'd further to that. I like to keep the memory of the Holomador alive, which far fewer people know about, which um, killed far more people mm-hmm. um, through the politics of equity and kindness. The lack of teaching about that in high schools enabled so much of this to, to carry on. Well, and it is just that. It is that continued, subtle dehumanization of anybody that has a contrarian view against the current social and political norm. And, you know, we've seen that they started with this prior to the pandemic, it ramped up during the pandemic. And now anybody that has a contrarian view is slapped with this. And it's just very, very sad because those three candidates, they're obviously free thinkers, critical thinkers who were prepared to actually ask questions and call out poor behavior. But if you go against the narrative, these parties now do not foster amongst their 
candidacy, any deviation from doctrine and mantra, whatever it is that may be. I mean, Luxon's done the same with his people. I mean, yes, censure poor behavior where there's poor behavior, like whether it be threatening or or the like. But, you know, at the end of the day, censuring one of your people because they hold a differing opinion to you. One of the things that I'll give Winston, bless him, the media all jumped up and down and yelled and screamed about their belief of the poor nature of his candidates. They're still there. They haven't been turfed out and left on the side of the street. He's still moving forward with his focus of what he wants to go on. And I, I'm like, got on you on that. Can you say the same for Acton National? No. And then you've got people in Labour, Michael Woods. I mean, how many wrong steps did that man have to make before finally <laughs> uh, well, something I mean, was done about it? You know, it's, that uh, talent pool is, is not that deep. I, I was having a look at, uh, there's an organisation called Freedom House, which is uh, basically a, an American foundation that uh, protects democracy and freedom. And, and their, their contention is that uh, around the world, freedom has been declining for the last 15 years. And their quote was, as a lethal pandemic, economic and phys- physical insecurity and violent conflict ravaged the world, this is 2020, democracy's defenders sustained heavy new losses in their struggle against authoritarian foes, shifting the international balance in favour of tyranny. Incumbent leaders increasingly used force to crush opponents and settle scores, sometimes in the name of public health while beleaguered activists lacking effective international support faced heavy jail sentences, torture or murder in many settings. These withering blows mark the 15th consecutive year of decline in global freedom. So, yeah, there's a lot of that is manifesting itself here. Mm. In terms of the political opinion pieces, they all very much had a theme, and I think we need to buy everybody a set of pearls uh, because they were clutching them for dear life. And again, they weren't really focused on the issues. They were focused, they got down in the weeds and they were focused on this ridiculous minutiae, which was quite frustrating. Chanel Lau was obsessed about toilets. What is it that that man in lose? <laughs> well, <laughs> let's not go there, but... Um... no. I took my kids to the pool at the weekend and it is a bit of an uneasy feeling, you know, it's because you, I don't go into the women's changing rooms. So they go there by themselves. I party for a group of seven year old girls. Someone with a dick's got no right to be going in there and getting naked. They talk about their right to do that and not feel excluded. And, you know, Chanel was saying the reality is that those, that these politicians who have put forward zero evidence to support their suggestion that transgender women uh, compromise the safety of cisgender women in public toilets and bathroom. A hint, because they don't. So it's saying when peeing with the door closed became a genuine issue is lost on me. So if you've got the door closed, why not use the men's? What's Mm. the big deal? If we're given a choice between the rights of a person, someone who's got issues, to do what they want, and the safety of young kids, I'll take the safety of young kids every single time. It is certainly something that Peters has actually jumped on this. And I think lovies like Lal actually don't realise how this is a concern for a number of families and parents out there. I'm like you, you know, I would never dream of going into the men's changing rooms. Even when my kids were little, uh, we were in that family change, you know. I mean, it's just not appropriate. I, with two little boys, I just, they didn't need to, to do that. And in the family change, they went. And it's. I had an awful experience in Gisborne Public Library once where I had to take my then two year old 
daughter in to change nappies and took her into the men's room and um and she screamed don't touch me <laughs> really loud that wasn't any fun no uh straight above that opinion piece of course is heather du plessis allen and she was t- talking about some of the woes that Seymour had and, and what we alluded to in terms of his candidates on his list. This is this dehumanising that really annoys me by everybody in the media. Pro-vax good, anti-vax bad. And we just get again and again and again. It probably like wasn't a word with her, isn't it? It probably wasn't an accident that the media learned of axed three candidates that had, quote-unquote, weird vaccine-related issues. One compared vax mandates to the Nazi concentration camps, and we've talked about that. One linked drowning to vaccine, and one wrote a song about Jacinda Ardern throwing folks under gulags. Well, I think you'll find the drowning was somebody who had a, had a sudden medical event within direct proximity to vaccination. Hey, Let's not split that here. Yeah, the drowning rate went up. If you're blocking us from speculating on why, but you're not offering evidence as to why it, mm. it might have been another thing, then that, again, makes me suspicious, Heather. And she goes on, dig- digging up dodgy candidates is at the bottom of a small party's list, is a stock standard political attack. But ACT left itself wide open to it. It should have learned from the experience of small parties, including itself, and every other previous election to vet new candidates thoroughly. So does vetting basically mean that you need to sign up to this prescription and you're not allowed to have a free thought of your own? Because this is what, what it's it beginning means. to yep, sound like. Yep, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Indeed. The only other thing of political note, we've still got more than two months of this month, and I don't know how I'm going to cope. You wouldn't have seen this because it was in the post. Tosh Stewart, who is a philosopher and works as an advisor on academic policy and regulation, wrote a very, I thought, rather quirky piece in the post. And it says, don't waste your vote on a safe candidate. And it's just a really, really interesting idea around if you are a person that is inclined inclined to place a vote uh, strategically or in a different direction, What they were putting forward was looking at seats, if you were in a seat, checking where your candidates were on the party list within that seat. Uh, Consider, for example, the race in Hutt South between Ginny Anderson Labour, number 17 on the list, and Chris Bishop, national number four on the list. There is no point in voting for either of these two candidates for Hunt South because both of them will make up the list regardless of where the outcomes are. That's actually a really interesting idea. So she's actually suggesting that you have a look around for those other candidates. So if you've already got two MPs, regardless of who were the two front runners, regardless of the outcome, she says, who in Hutt South should pick? Good question. Existing voter inclinations make it tricky. Maybe the best thing is to find two diametrically opposed parties. How about the new Conservatives or the Opportunity Parties? Tories can vote for the neocons, the lefties can vote for top. We'll see who wins. Vox Populi, Vox Day, as Elon Musk would say. So I just thought it was a really interesting idea. I don't know whether you've caught it, but I've just spoken to Karina Shields, Tito Takarau, which was was the Māori seat she was on. She's come off that role mm. now. She said up there, the choices are basically left, left, and really left, uh, yeah. which Labour, Greens, and Māori Party, those are the choices. She's actually encouraging everybody who've remained on that seat, if you want to make your voice heard, Vote legalise cannabis as a protest <laughs> vote for your candidate because that's your only other option. 
I'm not sure when it came out, but there was journal Current Psychology, which showed that left-wing extremism is linked to toxic psychopathic tendencies and narcissism. It's a new study uh, based on existing research. We expected individuals with higher levels of left-wing authoritarianism to also report higher levels of narcissism. And, you know, I think when people are feeling like, you know, they just want to keep their heads down and let it all blow over, it's really worth uh, realizing. I mean, the the media is grossly overestimated by the left and, and often authoritarian left, as we've discussed before. Remember during COVID, there was that Rasmussen report came out that where 55% of Democrat voters supported fines against people who refused to take the vaccines. You go down, 29% of Democratic voters said the government should take people's children from them if they refuse to get the COVID-19 vaccine. That's what we're up against. And to think that there's not counterparts in New Zealand is naive to the point of it being dangerous for all of us. Yeah, absolutely. There are just quoting Chanel, you know, the drop of a hat. This harkens back to your interview with Josh about, Slocum. Yeah, about the personality disorders. These people are picking up the ball and running with it. And, you know, I'm often horrified watching, you know, there's really good content, you know, on RCR. And it gets listened to a lot. It doesn't get shared as much as it should because people, as I said, just want to keep their heads down. You've got to start sharing this. You've got to start talking mm. about it. It's getting late in the day. Yeah, and I'm so glad you brought up Josh's interview. And that's one I think that's perfectly safe to share. Like if you're somebody who's yeah. worried about people's concerns, say, for example, on an issue like vaccination, that I don't even think we I mentioned think it's that. Also, it, it's all pretty safe to share. You know, it is, we, exactly. It's deliberately so because – as I often say, you know, we can talk about what's not in the paper yeah. and we don't need conspiracy theories because the data is right there. The paper's not reporting on it. And what you brought up is really interesting because one of the things that Josh touched on in our interviews, we're talking about Josh Locum. I interviewed him a few weeks back. Do look it up on the replays. So you just go to realitycheck.radio backslash replays, click on my counterculture tile and all those interviews will come up there's four different types of narcissism and Josh did actually mention covert narcissism and he said yeah. this is the one that's difficult to spot but this is the one that quite often you will see in politics or media Which and this is what a most covert dangerous one of and all. the most dangerous yeah. a covert narcissist is someone who craves admiration and importance lacking empathy towards others but may act in a different way than an overt narcissist. They may exhibit symptoms of narcissistic personality disorder, but often hide the most obvious signs of the condition. While it can be more difficult to recognize, covert narcissism can be just as destructive as the more overt narcissistic behaviors. Common narcissistic traits include having a strong sense of self-importance, experience fantasies of fame and glory, exaggerating self-abilities, craving admiration, exploiting others, and lacking empathy. In the field of psychology, behavior can be described as overt or covert. Overt behaviors of those can be easily observed, such as those of a traditional narcissist described above. Covert behaviors, however, are those that are more subtle and less obvious to others. When considering 
the behavior of narcissists, it might be hard to imagine how someone can be a narcissist and be inhibited by their approach and behavior. A covert narcissist may be outwardly self-effacing or withdrawn in their approach, but their end goals are always the same. Yeah. So just take it for granted. Those people are out there. They're often in the public. They're often in politics. They've got the wheel right now. They're going to drive us off a cliff. And you're in the car, New Zealanders, with healthy families and, you know, a healthy take on things. You're in the car with the serial killer just trying to make small talk because this person seems a bit volatile and you don't want to upset them. It's time to take off your seatbelt, open the door and jump out because mm. it's never going to get easier, only harder as the farmhouses start turning to forestry. Yeah. What's been really interesting, particularly in this last week, around just even in politics, but in things in general, has been, I think there is definitely a move among the population now that people are, those who have been trusting all along, are now no longer so. One of the little cracks of this that appeared this week was a Substack, uh, Thomas Cramner. If you don't follow his Substacks, they are incredible. He's got a, it's a pseudonym. Thomas does these very in-depth, well-researched, referenced articles about issues that are affecting New Zealanders today. Well, journalism in, oh, in the yeah. vacuum that's been created by the vacuous journalists we've got. So to anybody out there who says stations like this should not be taken seriously because we're not in the milieu of legacy media, and a lot of people who write substacks or uh, publish in alternative sources are often dismissed out of hand because they're not in the, you know, the tight duopoly of media companies that we have in this country. Well, it appears that Thomas had a little bit of cut through with Shane Curry this week. Many of us in our sphere, we saw this as soon as it dropped, so we were over it pretty early. I'm pretty certain Paul Another bit it. of plagiarism um, dressed up as protecting my, my sources. Yeah. And I know that uh, we covered it really, really early. We broke the story last week pretty much as it dropped. I get the feeling that Shane Curry, something set him off because he obviously saw this. Where he got well, it from, it, I don't know. I mean, probably originally be. linked on the BFE it, front. Yeah, yeah, originally linked on the BFG. What we're talking about is this the piece that Kremner put out this week. He dropped the bombshell of paid advertising from the government into TVNZ, but it was not overtly recognisable as paid content. Advertorial content, as Martin and I both know, has been part of the landscape within media, both print and radio, for years. I used to get ad libs that we would have to do. When you used to have to write those advertorials, I think it was sponsored content or something you used to pop up on the top of the byline or something, wasn't yeah, it? I can't remember. Something like that. Something like that. So it was very, very clear that whatever you were reading had been funded and paid for by someone else. It wasn't independent, non-commercial journalism. Well, that line apparently is being crossed, particularly when it comes to climate and climate change. With over three a $300,000 package where the government had paid to TVNZ, and it included a one-hour climate special screened in prime time, a, uh, online content hosted on One News and TVNZ.co.nz, including a dedicated web page, five One News articles and stories 
on their website, five one-use social media posts, a breakfast integration, five interviews across a week on breakfast, including a range of EECA and climate energy experts, seven sharp interview with an EECA ambassador and a joint press release. Propaganda much? Well, yeah, and and then cue the usual, well, you know, again, pearl clutching, but outraged huffing and puffing from the media lovies. You've got old uh, stuff general counsel Genevieve O'Halloran. The integrity of our inter- editorial content is fiercely guarded by our newsrooms and is explicitly protected in our charter. Editorial content on stuff cannot be bought or sold. We expect our journos to cover all news stories without fear or favour, whether the subject is an advertiser or the Prime Minister. Now, when was the last time you ever saw the fact that deaths from natural disasters have decreased by 90% over the past century, despite the population quadrupling? Would you kind of arrive at... That's a fact, too. That's out of a Belgian agency that measures such things. Carbon emissions have been declining for the past 50 years in US, UK, or major Western countries. You don't see that. And it's more pernicious than just paid content. You've got the education system turning out kids that think a certain prescribed way. You've got the Public Interest Journalism Fund and New Zealand On Air only funding people that take a certain editorial direction on climate change and Maori treaty co-partnerships in New Zealand being racist. So it's it's coming from a few angles. Mm. I, th- I mean, what Genevieve clearly said, I mean, to me, as soon as I read that quote, I thought, gaslighting much? Because yeah. I think people now are beginning to see, actually, no, Genevieve, that's not true. And there's that lie of omission, isn't it? Well, you know, it's been a while since I've done a Hannah Arendt, she of the uh, banality of evil uh, quote, the result of a consistent and total substitution of lies for factual truth is not that the lie will now be accepted as truth and truth be defamed as a lie, but that the sense by which we take our bearings in the real world and the category of truth versus falsehood is among the mental means to this end is being destroyed. Mm. That's what's happening. Yeah, it is what's happening. With the climate change, we we haven't said anything about the tragedy in Maui, you Mm. know, it appears possible that over a thousand people, and I've seen estimates that possibly 2,000 people have lost their lives. And no show without punch. There's a um, New York Times, I think it is, article in Saturday's Weekend Herald blaming climate change. And, and that was the first thing climate change, climate change, climate change. Another great bit of content was off the Monday breakfast show with Paul Brennan, interviewed former BlackRock fund manager Ed Dowd, who's come out and and just looking at COVID through numbers, painting a very compelling picture that all's not well. You know, there's been a lot of speculation about directed energy weapons and things like that. As, As I said, we don't need to look at that. It may have been, it may not have been, but there's plenty you can look at that's factual Mm. uh, before you go there. And what's factual is bad enough. Mm. You know, the people who survived were often people who avoided a roadblock that was sending people back towards the fire. They ignored authority. When they were told by local authorities to do one thing, they followed their instincts and ignored that and survived. 
Yeah, he he put it down to you know Maui's got a, an arson problem and a meth problem, and he thinks a, a meth addict probably started the fires. But there was a fair bit of official incompetence on top of that, and you know there's that uneasy coincidence that through about three years ago the police chief who was police chief in the Las Las Vegas shooting shooting which was covered up was appointed on Maui. So you know. I mean, you're talking about climate change being responsible for the storms. I mean, the, the hurricane was about 800 kilometers away and, and the winds were only 80 to 90 miles an hour. But there's a lot of tinder dry material because there's been a lot of highly flammable grasses planted. You know, you don't need to be bleating about climate change right off the bat while the bodies are still being found. That's just ghoulish. Mm. No, it is. It is. And the, and if you haven't heard that interview with Ed Dowd, it was Monday morning with Paul again, pop to the replays page, and you'll be able to catch that there with him. It was excellent. In the Shane Curry piece, the other back half of that piece, so the front half was the Cramner, and then there was a few little fluffy bits in the middle. The second half of his Media Insider was around something that we've been talking about here for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, which is the digital harms discussion document. So it's essentially which was conspicuous by its absence from New Zealand's mainstream media. I know. And voila. Suddenly. As, as soon as uh, submissions for this have closed. Not that they make a lick of difference to this government. They've got skips out the back of. Um, the beehive where I think they go straight into it. The subheading he starts with this is chilling. Media firms take aim at government review. Chilling, says TVNZ. Chilling, says RNZ. Seriously chilling, says NZ me. New Zealand's major media firms have serious concerns about the proposed content regulation review, which they say threatens to sweep up journalism and broadcasting content and undermine editorial independence and freedom of the press principles. Now, I want to know where TVNZ, RNZ and NZ me were for the last two months because we have been going on and on and on about this. I almost felt like we were a lone voice in the wilderness on this topic. All of us here on RCR have been talking about this because we could see the impact that this would have on a station like ours. Crickets. But all of a sudden they're finding it chilling. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, we, uh, while they applaud the intention to crack down on social media content and bring global giants within a regulatory environment to avoid the likes of suicide videos being spread on TikTok in the March 2019 mosque shootings being broadcast on Facebook, they say that New Zealand's media businesses already operate responsibly and with regulatory oversight. We is good, Massa. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we do what we're told. Why are you coming for us when we denounced everyone else? And you see later in the piece, Warner Brothers Discovery boss Glenn Kine, who's a Kiwi, said his company's submission that sectors that were already compliant, such as traditional broadcasters, should not be subject to an increased regulatory burden, including complexity and cost of compliance. He urged internal affairs to be mindful that small platforms can cause significant harm. We know what sort of platform he's talking about, don't we? We do. Us. Yes. Internal Affairs does respond, though. And Internal Affairs told Media Insider yesterday it had received more than 20,000 pieces of feedback, although there appeared to be a, in inverted commas, high number of duplicates. It would take some time to confirm the number and type of submissions. 
So in other words, they're going to go through and weed out any they believe are not legitimate. Just as an example, I uh, was researching, seeing if I could find a neat summary of the various bits of evidence of irregularities in the 2020 US election. And I got through three pages. I've increasingly phrased the question more specifically about what I was looking for. I got three pages of links telling me why it was ridiculous and nonsense. Not a single contrarian view, because I think we've already got NewsGuard working in New Zealand. Because remember where Jacinda's gone? She's gone to Harvard, and she's, uh, you know, her, her focus is now a part of the World Economic Forum platform, which is uh, Limit Information. That's where they've directed her next, and it's right. worked. So this morning before we came to air, I write the Woke News of the Week, which is coming up after this. There were a number of stories this week. I got introduced to a chat GPT summary thing just to help summarize some of these stories if I wanted to to pull things together. And I thought, oh, I'll give it a whirl, sure, and uh, see what it does. Now, interestingly enough, I found it a number of the sites that I find these of would be ones that would be overtly partisan. So they, they look at things through a more uh, rightward or scathing lens, say. One of the stories was in Outlet Like That, and it was discussing a librarian in Oklahoma. I won't go into it in too much detail. But the story itself, you could see there were definite sort of inflections and leanings to how they were covering the story. I put the summarizer over it to see what it came back with. The summarizer summarized it and actually put a slant very much in the opposite direction. And there were summaries in there that I went back through the original article and could find no reference to that whatsoever. Yeah, those AI chats have have already been corrupted. There's plenty of examples. Of, I, I uh, was stunned. So I did all the news stories. I thought, oh, I'm gonna, I, I'm going to apply this to all the news stories. So I did it. So I'd written my summaries, put the summarizer over it, and every single one changed it back to sort of indicate that if you questioned the current narrative, particularly around DEI, it was that was considered a negative or an opposing view. And I thought, wow. Yeah, I mean, an incredible article, but it was basically a whole lot of people mouthing off about how evil it was that New Zealand super funds were invested in Fox News, as if they were talking about, you know, investing in cluster bomb manufacturer or something like that. The standout bullshit story about Trump was Fran O'Sullivan's opinion. Fran O'Sullivan, you are a disgrace. We should really care about the potential return of Donald Trump. It's like, and, and you know, there's no mention that the guy who's there now is a dementia patient who seems to have a predilection for touching children in an uncomfortable way and is hopelessly corrupt to the point tune of, I think, $20 million while he was vice president and counting. There were, there were two articles like that, both the Sunday Star Times, the Weekend Herald had one, and it all uses very weighted languages where a cacophony of Trump supporters bellowed support from. What we're seeing here is is the absolute weaponization of the Justice Department. There's no question about that. This guy's facing four criminal cases and two civil cases. He's facing a total of 91 charges because he questioned the election. Now, some of these trials are going to take place on Super Tuesday, which is the key date of the selection process. Is that not interfering with an election? Mm. 
And I mean, we um, talked about narcissism just before. If an overt narcissist, Trump is an overt narcissist. Absolutely yeah. no doubt about that. Yeah. However, the threat he poses, and this is why I think they're going so hard after him, is he doesn't sit within the establishment elite. Yeah. He, he outmaneuvered them in 2016 and got elected. That, that's why they cracked down on social media, because he tweeted his way to the White House. They weren't going to let that happen again. They really, really didn't want him to get elected. Fran O'Sullivan's saying, what is remarkable is that, if anything, Biden has taken much of the Trump economic agenda further, far further, and bedded in. What bullshit? He, he on, on day, well, very, very quickly, uh, one of his first acts into the um, his presidency were to rescind 15 executive orders. And what he's doing is absolutely different. He's throwing the border open. And there are about 5 million illegal uh, illegal immigrants in the U.S. at the moment. There have been over 300,000 children come, come through, and 85 of them are missing. And it's well documented that a lot of the people who are receiving these kids are criminal gangs. Russian, Balkan, Mafia, MS, whatever it is. And these children are being sold into sex slavery. No one knows where they are or, or having to work terrible hours and terrible conditions. Mm. And, and in that first bundle of executive orders that Biden signed off, right, when he first came in, do you remember one of them was stopping the pipeline? Yeah, stop the pipeline. So, you know, to say he continued his economic policies is it's beyond obtuse. Mm. But it's also part of that over that overriding ideological plan. I mean, Biden, so that was what, uh, 2020, the beginning of 2020, he signed that order, stop the pipeline. I mean, Jacinda, what was the first thing, what was the very first thing she did in 2017 after arriving, being the accidental prime minister, as I like to think of her, yeah. and yet we make a bold captain's call as a complete novice and we shut down all future oil and gas explorations as if, you know, we just plucked that out of the air. Yeah. This is where the absence of a proper media is, is such a dangerous, dangerous thing for democracy. Because if someone had have gotten her on TV asking her questions about the oil and gas industry, people would have quickly realized, look, she just knows nothing. She knows nothing beyond bumper stickers. And it's the same with climate change. You, you could ask her, you know, I mean, the old gotcha question is, well, what percentage of the atmosphere is, is CO2? You know, people say, oh, you know, 5%, it's 0.04%. They know nothing about it. James Shaw knows, he, he doesn't have any qualifications in, in climate. And yet he's going around the world destroying New Zealand's agriculture so we can be a leader, translate, Again, we're with the narcissism, so he can be a leader. Mm. From the dollar shortened day late file, which we covered with Curry, and that seems to be a theme of the media currently, and I think it's only going to get worse the closer we get to the election. So things that, you know, many of us have been talking about in the six or so months. Stephen Joyce. Mm. Inquiry must ensure COVID era lessons learned. Royal Commission needs to look at what could have been done better. The timing of this I found really interesting. There was good, bad, and ugly in here. It was good that yeah. it was written. Good, good, bad, ugly, and timid. Yes, a, very a lot timid. of timid. There was a lot of timid. Yeah, I mean, to describe, he talks about 
And, and this drives me crazy when people do it. Talked about pandemic-induced staff shortages. It wasn't the pandemic. It was the government response to the perception of the pandemic. And then just below, he sort of essentially says that. The decision mm. to leave hospitals almost completely empty for long periods was appalling. Well, yeah. He talks about a whole cohort of young people are less adequately prepared for life than they would have been without COVID coming along again. You know, then below, he says, well, it wasn't essentially, you know, it wasn't COVID. Schools were closed at the drop of a hat for very long periods. And the tendency to close schools quickly for a variety of reasons has continued. Is that COVID, Steve? Mm. And, and even further, because I highlighted actually the following paragraph, as well as coping with the ongoing problems of poor school attendance and damaged tertiary sector, we're still dealing with the collateral damage in terms of the actions of some young people who were clearly disaffected and disconnected from society. There is little doubt the current crime wave is partly caused by the marginalisation of so many young people. Marginalisation, how, Stephen? Because Depending on who you talk to, there are those that are say that marginalisation sits in a construct of oppressed and, opp and oppressor, and that they are marginalised due to the colour of their skin, and therefore that this is what is required in order to take them out of marginalisation. Or are they marginalised because they, again, because that colour of their skin, they are actually told that they're part of an oppressor class, so therefore they need to conform. I mean, there's all of these nuances there that just don't get touched, and that for me, was exceptionally timid. Yeah, the mentor side on young people. And again, you know, all you timid people sitting at home, yes, you. This is serious. You think about how what's happening with your kids at school, you instinctively equate it with what happened with you. It's not the same. It's really changed. No, it's not the same. If you started with your, I mean, your kids are a bit younger than mine, but we're definitely starting to have those conversations, those teenage conversations, particularly the youngest one. Yeah, I try to immunise my children by priming them with some counterfactuals. In the same way as I have started transitioning them early by when they say they want to get married and have kids, I'll uh, run over um, the need to uh, avoid porn, drugs, uh, to great gain skills that are going to enable you to support a family, all that sort of thing, mm. uh, to resist the uh, pressure to get into a relationship before the age of 18, but rather work on yourself to uh, improve the caliber of the people who are willing to marry you. So yeah, the transition process, I think, uh, needs to start going both ways. Well, I'm glad you brought up both ways because we, we're, we're at what I call the barn door stage of the discussions with the boys. And it's a lot about if a topic comes up and, you know, I say to them, right, well, let's look at both sides of the barn door here. And we, between both Mr. Marie and myself, we have these conversations with the boys and we get them, if they hold one position, it's like, okay, well, you need to swing that barn door and, and look like, look at the position from the other side. Or, if you're wanting to apply your position, what effect does that have further down the, the line? Because the one thing that we certainly know, regardless of who is in governance, the road to hell is paved with a lot of really good intentions. But man, is that road gilded and is it paved? And it has gone to hell. Yeah. So further on in the piece from Joyce, talking about the post-COVID hangover, I would like to add a few extra items to this huge post-COVID hangover. 
The simultaneous increase of the number of conspiracy theorists and the desire of governments to label and crack down on disinformation are both the children of lockdowns and vaccine mandates abate abetted by social media. If you demonize people for their understandable, if possibly irrational, fears, then you're going to get more people placing themselves on the opposite side of what they can see as an overbearing authority. And if you get too used to having your way with the one source of truth, then you come to see any disagreement as disinformation. Yeah. What I don't get is why people aren't talking about those recent stats that have come out showing those whopping increases since 2018, 19 and death rates, 14% up, right? Uh, live births down 28% and disability up uh, 37.5. Again, getting back to that interview on Paul Brennan's show with former BlackRock fund manager, Ed uh, Dowd. You know, so New Zealand's disability is up for working age people, 37.5. That uh, is 14% of the workforce apparently now. In the US, it's 36%. So that's a whopping increase, but it's very close to New Zealand's. So what's going on with working age folks? And more to the point, as I said, you people sitting at home, why is that not in the paper? That, that's that's not a conspiracy theory. Those are numbers out of New Zealand's Ministry for Stats. How come no one's talking about it? That's a huge news story. The live births down 28%. That's on, on top of them falling before the pandemic from replacement to, to well below replacement at 1.6 live births per um, woman from 2.1, I think. Where are they now? No. And I mean, look at the South Koreans. I think, did, did I hear something uh, the South Koreans were below one? Yeah. I would be surprised if New Zealand wasn't hovering around one. And what's Chris Hipkins talking about? Protecting women's rights to abortion? That's their priority? Sure. Talk about abortion, but maybe talk about how we're going extinct as well. Well, not only that, protecting New Zealanders' rights to abortion. They don't talk about how late-term abortions... They pass oh, that under that urgency. Late term abortions. I've I've watched three babies in person being born, my children, and each of them were right there at the outset. I I, you know, the whole cluster of cells uh, thing. So you know, late term up to up to birth passed under urgency during the first lockdown. And, and there's this ghoulish photo of female Green MPs celebrating it, and they they look like. They're just smiling in that ghoulish way that people smile with dead animals with their tongues hanging out. You know, that's sort of where it doesn't seem to match. You think, oh, that poor dears. Right. I mean, what did he announce? $4 billion to Trump. Yeah. $4 billion over four years. Well, Andrew Kelleher, uh, who's a financial guru, he did a bit of a tot up of what the uh, total fiscal spend was and uh, over the same period. 578 billion. So, you know, my rudimentary maths, 578 billion, 4 billion saved. Well, that's less than 1%. Um, oh, it's, it's horrifying. And, and it's it's mostly borrowed. Well, you know, not mostly borrowed, but, you know, a good part of it's borrowed. Oh, right. What else have you got on your list, Mr. Mister? Fran O'Sullivan article I was lambasting. You know, this is the same Fran Sullivan who mentioned that 
Hipkins was going to the summer Davos, but didn't mention that he and Jacinda Ardern were young global leaders. You know, the head of TVNZ, Simon Power, who got paid by the government to talk about climate change, WF, young global leader. The the fact it's it's constantly um, absent from the the national dialogue is again should concern people a lot more than it does. But yeah, I think the BRICS, you know, you're starting to see a bit of mentioning around the edges of of the BRICS thing. And in the world section, there was a, a story how Saudi Arabia of, of uh, this weekend held how Saudi Arabia and UAE are positioning themselves for power. You know, I've talked before about Unwin's work, talking about the collapse of civilizations and my belief that we're in the midst of that. And uh, it happens, this is from studying about 84 collapsed civilizations. He said one of the uh, in constant features of such collapses, they happen like clockwork three generations after the societal stigma comes off premarital or extramarital sex. So here we are, right, from the 60s. And inevitably, the country that takes over the collapsed civilization is one with more temperance, let's say. And so here we have the Saudi Arabia uh, and BRICS countries basically poised to, to take over. They're, they're proposing new currencies, new gold-backed currencies. And there's a quote here from Ali Shib, uh, Shihabi, a Saudi commentator close to the royal court, says that while there could be adjustments if the U.S. agrees to a security alliance with the kingdom, Riyadh would resist pressures to dilute ties with China. There's no going back. Saudi Arabia will not give up the bridges it has built with the global south with Russia or China, because those are integral to the functioning of the Saudi economy and to the kingdom's long-term market needs, he says. The Saudi leadership is much more independently minded. Ten years ago, there was a whole generation that was just instinctively more deferential to American requests. It's time to start seeing things through that lens. And there are stories of African nations turning down American aid because it it's basically um, social justice programs, and they don't want that. No. They don't want the trans thing. They don't want normalization of homosexuality, rightly or wrongly. And, you know, I'm agnostic about that, but I, I do think that there are um, issues with it that it's not politic to discuss. Mm. Um, and, you know, they're being offered military aid from Russia and China. So rather than... You know, they see it as America's offering them the opportunity to get weak and Russia and China are op offering them the opportunity to get stronger and they're taking stronger. Yeah, we have to start thinking, well, you know, where's New Zealand placed in this? And obviously we are a lot more sidled up to China than um, other Western nations. But, um, yeah, well, this, this yeah. is going to play, this, this play out a lot more in coming years. So an article that just dropped a couple of days ago by Mick Hall. Now, Mick Hall was the Radio New Zealand journalist. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, that was... Lambasted um, again. Yes, claiming, oh, from Radio claiming, New Zealand. Yeah, claiming that he altered stories. He broke with the narrative of the collapsing empire. And, of course, that has now been 
completely debunked, but again, not by RNZ. Well, he got picked up no, by not, Consortium not, News. They made it. Been confirmed. Yes, and they consor- Consortium News picked him up. He's just dropped his a big article in Consortium News. The headline is, is unease over New Zealand's overtures to Pacific and uh, US and Pacific. New security state documents show Wellington aligning its military with the rules-based international order, shocker, while preparing Kiwis for war with key trading partner China, writes Mick Hall. Now, it's a long read, and he's really gone into depth here, and I think he's enjoyed, you can see the relish that he's had to have full editorial freedom well, to actually dive Imagine how free he thinks being able to tell the truth. I saw yeah. an interview, just a, a web podcast kind of interview with Duncan Garner. He was a bit boozed and just looked terrible. And I bet a lot of media lovies are starting to um, stretch from a bottle of wine a day to two or three these days because it lying is it's hard on you, hard on your soul. Mm. Yeah, you're so right. And actually, we'll reiterate the offer we made last week. If any of you want to reach out to, to Marty, he's a safe space, people. Give him a holler. Inbox at realitycheck.radio. Yeah, it's your kids Marty. are going to have to live with this, if you've got kids. No, I, I just really would recommend uh, having a look at that. I think it's uh, it's a great article. It's It's nice to see him being able to, as you say, write the truth and actually get another view out there that you will never see on the legacy media here. Yeah, uh, the the other little... often have to do it as a hobby rather than a job. <laughs> but, you know, go work in a pack house and, and tell the truth as a hobby. It's, it's far better than uh, lying for a living. So true. So true. Liam Lawson, did you see he had his first outing the Formula One over the weekend? Dutch oh, Grand Prix? Brilliant. Yeah, caned it. Well, he got 13th, didn't he? 13th, and well, and considering uh, apparently the track was a, a nightmare. And, yeah, yeah so, so you mentioned it, you know, the other week. We're doing some pretty great things on uh, underappreciated um, motorsports um, stars. Yeah, considering that, well, we won't talk about the rugby, so because <laughs> it was oh. a bit of a disaster. And oh, and of course, the Rugby World Cup, I've that's completely passed me by. I'm a, traditionally been a huge fan of the Rugby World Cup, but this year it's Completely snuck up on me out of the blue. So there you go. That's what happens when you're busy, staying out of mischief. I probably don't pay as much attention to sports ball as uh, is regarded as normal, but, you know, bread and circuses. Bread and circuses. Right. Well, we're going to get together, you and I, again on uh, Friday for Political Agenda. So that's going to be a bit of fun. I'm going to have to get a bit of reading up about a bit behind on the reading. Pleasure as always. And uh, how's the column going? Good? Check it out. I, I, the last couple of columns, the last few columns, are basically setting out a few different ways of looking at the world. And the latest one is the difference between, well, I guess the similarity between Western medicine and, and Western democracy and what a, a more eastward way of looking might might be. Very good. And, of course, realitycheck.radio. And you can find that, I think it's under blog, is it not? Yeah, yeah it's yeah. under blog. We'll talk in a couple of days and we'll do, of course, this all over again next Wednesday. Remember, more still here to come on Counterculture, including the Woke News of the Week, up next here with RCR. Awesome. Have a great week, everyone. You're listening to Counterculture on RCR. Yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah.